If you still have your sheets, you'll find this little outline on there, the, uh, the five points. Well, the ones on the left are what I consider man's, man's way to salvation, and the, the ones on the right are God's way, or the terms of pardon, if you will. Um, very simplified and not normally compared uh, as I I've, I've did that there. I, I told myself I could get away with uh, listing them straight across like that. It pertains, but of course, that's not the point. The point is that God has a way to be pardoned from sin, and man has come up with another way not really on the same thinking. It's more of a um, it's more of a reading between the lines, if you will, as they talk about it. Uh, they feel these are the the real issues at hand in a, a spiritualized, of which I disagree with, uh, basically. But nonetheless, <clears throat> I can sympathize with why these things were were uh, listed as such, comes all the way from Augustine, who lived um, in the 3rd or 4th century. I forget the dates now. Uh, I've read extensively and studied these things. And um, he had a lot of ideas such as this, but there were many other Christian um, people, many other uh, preachers, uh, leaders that disagreed with these points, even then, uh, along with many other things. So this is a continuing battle that is still rages today. Now this is part three of this, and the, and the question can, that concerns salvation. God's way or man's way? We need to pick. It would seem obvious well, to me at least, that, that to be saved from the wrath of God, which is what men and women need to be saved from due to sin, the wrath of God, it would seem then that mankind would want to be saved God's way. Not by any other way, regardless of how it seems to be useful or, or um it seems to say something that they like to hear. They'd want to know for sure. So we don't see God's way promoted as much as I think it should be. Instead, what we see is in man's organized uh, denominational churches that within their writings, they seem to have or, or certainly hope to have many ways. Now, I... Many years ago, I was floored when I heard a man who was the head of the uh, the uh, the, Amer the head of the uh, Episcopal Church in America make the statement that the most unfortunate verse in the Bible was the ones I'm going to read, John 14, 5 and 6. <clears throat> Thomas says to him, that is to Jesus, Lord, we know not where thou goest. 
And how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless by me. Now, are those unfortunate verses? Well, they are very powerful verses. They're very specific. John 14, 6, Jesus' words, I am the way. The way. There are not many ways. There is one way. But that one way has many points, many terms, if you will. Now remember, please, as we study this idea of the five points of Calvinism and, and, the, and God's way, God's plan of salvation, or the terms of pardon, please remember, as you hear the, the, um, the uh, Calvinistic method of man's way, remember that all of these five points of Calvinism, outside of the first one, depend upon one another, they, they make an assumption that the previous point was true for the new point to also be true. If you see that, you will see it. It's, it's called, some people have called this the domino doctrine. It, it, if one falls, they all fall. Well, that's true. Um, so, and I think, sadly, none of the points of man's way can pass the test of scripture. You see, this isn't, I don't believe Calvinism is a good theological look at salvation. Uh, it's not even what God said about salvation. It's, it's, a, it's an analysis of some sort. And at the end of the day, when I look at the five points of Calvinism, I see one glaring statement being made by man. And that statement is this, it's not my fault. That's the statement. If you read Augustine on these things, you'll find out that he was utterly disgusted with his life because just when he thought he had things in order, he was doing the right thing, he'd fall away and become profligate in one way or another in his life, and he'd come to his senses and he'd say, why does this happen? He came up with the reasons why. I don't, I don't accept it. I see, that's what I say. It's not my fault. But friends, it is our fault. If we are separated from God for time without end, it will be our fault, not his, not God's fault. So uh, that's, that's kind of a brief thought of my own. I, many uh, others hold similar thinking to that. But let's look at, uh, to start with, we were looking at, <clears throat> we were last week we left off on point number two, which is the unconditional election. Um, which means that according to Calvinism, we were predestined, preordained for either salvation or to be lost. 
And it, I know that sounds rough, but they have all ways of trying to soften it a little. Versus the second point of God's terms of pardon, belief, believing, believing God's word, believing in God and all that he has said. So let's look at, um, to kind of look at why I believe that believing is, is the, um, can confront the unconditional election and destroy it. Uh, it. It should be obvious by just the word, but let's look at 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. The apostle says the Lord does not delay his promise as some account of delay, but is long-suffering towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Does that sound in any way like unconditional election to you? Does that sound like to you that God has already selected who will perish? Why would the apostle preach such things? Well, he wouldn't. But you see, the apostles never heard of Augustine-ism or Calvinism or any of these things. They were preaching the words from heaven. Also, another scripture on the same vein, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. For this is good and acceptable before our Savior, God, who desires that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For God is one, and the mediator of God and men one, the man, Christ Jesus. Then, I want to add one other verse to this. John 6, verse 44. And we have a word in there that the Calvinists try to say that this is proof text of their claims. Verse 44, Jesus is talking to the Jews about who he is and, and the reality of the circumstance. But he says, no one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, that idea of draw, why is it the Calvinists look at that word draw in the English and immediately turn it into drag? Not drag. And in the Greek, there's lots of words for that phrase. And there actually is a Greek word to be drug or to be removed against your will. Guess what? The Calvinists are wrong. That's not what that word is. That's not what Jesus said. But there is a draw that we need to understand. And I think we understand it. You know, Spiro Zodiades, in his lexicon, his Greek, Dictionary defines this Greek word as drawn through the words of the gospel. Um, 
In other words, there is an intelligent, there is a, a draw to something someone has seen or heard, and that is the draw that draws men and women towards the gospel message, towards the terms of pardon, towards God to be saved. Now, who can say that's not true? That's what we call conversion. It comes through where? The Word, right? The Word. It wasn't something you saw written in the sky. didn't happen in the shower. It happened when you were reading the Word of God and hearing the Word of God. Because we are drawn this way in the love and respect of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and not ever, ever against the will of man are we drawn away unto salvation. Believing till our last breath, I believe, equals salvation. Uh, That's the experience. But it's to our last breath. Because as strongly as you believe, you can also disbelieve. And that's the thing with believing. All Believing brings obedience. Unbelief brings separation and folly into the life of a human being when, it's, when we're talking about their idea of, of God. So the predestinarian stand is, of course, uh, hindered by the fact that the number one point of Calvinism is also uh, incapable of being found and proven to be true in Scripture. So it falls. Number two point falls. There, there is not a, a predestined um, uh, man. There is only a predestined plan. The plan, the, the, the God's way is the plan. But it's not... It's not the man. God chooses the terms of pardon in his son Jesus Christ, but not those who will become obedient to those terms. That is from the heart and the, and the, and the mind of man, mankind himself. Those things uh, we see clearly around us, uh, that we do have free will, that we do have the ability to make a decision on our own. And which boils it right down to what I've said before, no one uh, can blame God for their lost estate, but themselves only. Now that brings us to the third point here of the five points. The Calvinists claim an idea of limited atonement of Christ. And I compare that to the idea of repentance. Repentance counters that um, because of the nature of repentance in, uh, on a large, the large scale. Repentance of who? Of the, of the saved? No. Repentance is available to all that live and have lived. That's why it's more powerful. So, Number three, limited atonement of Christ versus the repentance 
of mankind, which is one of God's terms of pardon. He demands repentance. And without repentance, we're not changing our way. We're not turning towards him. We're still, we're still mired in the, the world of men. Now, does the scripture teach that Christ died for all, or does it indicate that he died only for those ordained to life without end? Before the creation of the universe. See, we know that all this ordination that the Calvinists are talking about has to be has to have happened before the creation, as in John 17, when Jesus is praying to his Father that all these things were in the mind of God before the creation of all things. That's what they're saying. Well, I disagree with it, because Scripture does. And let's look at 1 John. 1 John 2, just the first two verses of that chapter. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My children, these things I write to you in order that you may not sin. And if anyone sin, we have a patron or an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Well, that can't be true under Calvinists. That can't be true under those points, under their statements. But it is true because the apostles preached that and Jesus taught it. Second Peter, Second Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 through 11. Now, I love this passage. And it pretty much teaches... Uh, everything you need to understand. He's talking about the divine power has been given to us. All things which relate to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us by glory and virtue. Now, by the way, that verse is referring to the apostles. But as we move through here, you're going to find that it also becomes uh, this teaching is um, uh, for the, uh, the, those receiving this letter, the Christian people, through which he has given to us the greatest of precious promises that through these ye may become partakers of the divine nature. You may. You see that? You may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, let me explain. The apostles were those that, were, that, were, um, that knew ahead of time. They knew the truth of Christ, the Messiah, and God's terms before, um, before the rest of mankind did. So this is the point. Now this is, the mankind can become partakers of the divine nature. Verse 5. But for this very reason also, using the, the, um, 
therewith all diligence in your faith have also virtue in virtue knowledge in knowledge temperance in temperance endurance in endurance godliness in godliness brotherly love in brotherly love love for these things exist and are abounding in you make you to be neither idle nor unfruitful as regards the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he with whom these things are not present is, is blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten the purging of his former sins. He's talking to Christians here. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, use diligence to make your calling and election sure. For doing these things, you will never fall. Now, verse 10 is kind of un-Calvinistic. Why would we want to make our election sure if it's already been determined by God? But that's not how things really are. We need to know that our election is sure in Christ. For thus shall the entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be richly furnished unto you. And that you is those receiving the letter. Now, we might say that the comments are made to Christian people. And that's true. This isn't evangelistic in any way. It's, it's informational to the, the Christian people. Nonetheless, it makes clear that uh, these terms, these things spoken about, our reality in the life of Christians. They, and we want to be partakers of the divine nature through Christ Jesus. You see, that completely uh, abolishes the concepts of predetermination, limited atonement, because through Christ we have these things. Through Christ, a man or woman that comes to him in faith in repentance, in confession, and buried in baptism, they have this divine nature brought into their lives. They're living in Christ. That is the divine nature. Thus, theirs is not limited atonement, but unlimited atonement for those coming to Christ. For those born from above, remember the words of the Gospel of John. Not born again. That's the American translation of born from above. That is what happens when you become a Christian. You are born from above by the will of God through the terms of pardon in Christ Jesus the Lord, the Son of God. Now, repentance towards God is necessary for the atonement to be applied to a person. So I believe that repentance is, is a key here and stands opposed to the, the concept of limited atonement for obvious reasons. There's two scriptures here. It's on our sheet. Well, one of them is. I added Acts 2.38 to it because it, it mentions the idea of repentance. But 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10, is an interesting verse. For grief, according to God, works 
repentance to salvation. Never to be regretted, but the grief of the world works death. Now you see, repentance brings salvation. There's, there's grief when we repent. There's grief that we have lived apart from God's way. There's grief that we ignored God and went another way. And all of that brings us to the idea of repentance. That's why when a person repents, they come and they testify before others that they confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he is their Lord and Master, and that they believe that God has sent him from heaven. In Acts 2.38, this idea of repentance and the grief of it brings people to, to make a question. Matter of fact, uh, let's look at verse 37. After, after the sermon that Peter gave to the Jews, they were on the, the edge of their seat, if you will, and having heard it, that is the words of Peter, they were pricked in the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do, brethren? And what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on he went in that same vein. Thus, repentance, which is a term of pardon in God's, in God's uh, sight, the number three way on that, that piece of on that chart, will bring one to ask, what shall I do to be saved? When we truly repent, we want to do the next right thing, and we need to continue doing the next right thing without, with, with, uh, for our entire Christian life. The apostolic re- response to this contrite heart is to conform to the pattern of salvation as preached by the apostles of Christ and the Lord's evangelists. Now note this, Jesus uh, Christ died for all the Christians. Of course he did. Those that are in him, but also for every soul in all the world who would come to him as their Savior and Lord. This is the Father's way. What did Jesus tell the apostles? Go forth into all uh, Israel, Uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and to all the world with the gospel message, with the invitation of salvation through the Son of God. To become a child of God, one must, as Jesus said a number of times, through him, No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to paint a message in the sky? That should be the one we'd put there. Are people going to all believe it just because they saw it wrote in the sky? Of course not. That doesn't help. Miracles were performed before 
the Jewish people by the, the hundreds. Did they all believe? Of course not. By the, day, by the time that Jesus went to the cross, he had a handful that wanted to even get close to him. Think about that. Point four, I'm just going to start it here because I have a story that goes with it. Point four is called Irresistible Grace of Deity, as it's known, although that's not a Bible word. We understand what it means. Irresistible grace. In other words, you can't re- resist the, the, well, the good wishes of God upon you. Grace. And that is versing confession with our mouth. <laughs> and this is an interesting thing, but the idea of irresistible grace, of course, if, no, if point number three is not, not valid, this point has a hard time standing on its own, this limited atonement and unconditional election and total depravity. Irresistible grace comes as, and also ran, almost. But let, let, there's a good illustration that I'll read it to you, and with that I'll close this morning and we'll look at it um, uh, in, in full a little later on. Now, nearly 200 years ago, uh, there was a debate planned in a large Midwestern city between Benjamin Franklin, and not, not the, the one you're thinking about from the Revolutionary War, but another preacher of later date in the early 1800s. Benjamin Franklin, he was an editor of a, of a, of a paper, a very good paper, and a preacher, And he was going to debate a leading Presbyterian of the day. Uh, And, of course, the Presbyterians used to be very hard and fast on this predestination uh, situation and Calvinism in general. Not so much today because it's not understood. But Franklin, ascending the podium to open the debate before a large crowd, and he opened it with a question for his opponent as he looked over towards his opponent, which would have been on the platform with the moderator and and the tables that they have. And he said to him, "Um, are you here to say, my brother, that this debate was foreordained by God? And he looked at the man, and, and with a loud and unhesitant resort, uh, a retort was, I do. So Editor Franklin put his Bible and his notes under his arm and walked out and away from the building to not return. <laughs> what a shocked crowd that was, huh? His actions spoke spoke more loudly than any words. That even God's foreordained debate could be that easily resisted by a man. Does that say something to you? Because this man believed this debate was going to happen, his opponent and that he would be victorious in his debate, 
and every, proved to everyone that this idea of irresistible grace and Calvinism in general was based on truth, and on and on it goes. But this man proved that the will of man, the free will of man, and the, and the real situation that exists in the world today makes this an impossibility. He left the debate without saying another word and walked away from the building, and that was the end. So his, his, uh, his actions were more powerful than probably anything he could have said. And I'm going to leave you with that on, on point four to stew that one over, read about what the, the Calvinists say about this, and we'll, I'll talk about it a little more next time as we look at it. But think about this. Can man resist God? Can man resist the devil? Can man resist good advice or the love of another person? Can a man resist these things? The answer, we all know, don't we? And if that be true, if this point is, is wrong in Calvinism, they have a problem. So those would be my comments today in way of defending God's way of salvation against uh, those other mechanisms that are in place. We'll come now. We'll have our song of invitation in consideration today. Love divine.